Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live Fuel show. So uh, we're going live here, as we always do in the Facebook world. Uh, that way you have to go back and look at this content real time uh, until it airs in the, in the podcast world to our newer listeners. But I'm excited, guys. I'm always excited to podcast, actually. But there's been a lot going on here at the home base. So we're going to be able to catch up here because I took a slight hiatus, a little break uh, for the, the regular listeners. You could tell for a couple months while we were finishing the book. I just needed to focus. Uh, but now I'm actually kind of happy because I'm, I'm ramping up and we already have a ton of shows banked up. But I get to connect with a guy who's actually apparently originally from this area, which we'll get into, uh, where I live here in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, specifically, I live right up the road from the high school this guy went to. <laughs> so he, we're, we might talk a little bit about uh, like healthy endurance-style brands, which I'm a big endurance athlete, so I love that. We might talk a little about marketing. Uh, but I think this guy understands the impacts of healthy lifestyle with business. And I love geeking out with a fellow marketer and a fellow branding guy uh, because I think we're going to have a really spontaneous and powerful show today. So without further ado, uh, he's the agency director and of the brand, the brand leader, my friends, Kyle Defer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Uh, it's uh, it's fun. It, uh, let's, but maybe we don't talk about Allentown so much because I don't know if I have many fond memories back then, back well, there. I left the Lehigh Valley. And that's the other thing, by the way. I mean, hold on. So let's, 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 let's timestamp it. So how long ago? Was it right after high school? Because you were there, what, class of 92? Yeah, Parkland High School, class of ninety two. Uh, I don't know if you're near the new high school or the old one. I was. This is the one in Orfield. So this uh, is going back a from Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's if that you wasn't aerial. Have you ever looked at that on yeah. Google Maps? I'm just like, yeah. Did looks like the Falcon. They were designing that building that way. <laughs> and, and quick, quick side note for the listeners, guys. Like, if you're a Star Wars geek, my wife has no clue, even though she went to your high school. Uh, but uh, you and I are a little bit older um, than she was. So somebody made a joke. They're like, hey, man, what's it like living right by the, vanilla, uh, the Millennium Falcon? And I'm right. Like, you just make a Star Wars joke about where I live in Allentown, Pennsylvania? You're like, you don't know, do you? I'm like, no, no you got to look from the Google map. I went to Google Margil map. High School, which is like on the side of a mountain in in the country. So I'm, I'm on the way to the Pocono <laughs> Mountains. So I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, go on Google. Like, zoom out. Zoom out. Keep zooming out from your address and look where the high school is. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I did not go there, though. I went to the one in Orfield, uh, which is up 309. Gosh, I, these are words I haven't thought of in years. Up, up Route 309, uh, right at the middle. I think it's a middle school now, but I went there for high school, and I went to Springhouse Junior High uh, uh, right off of Springhouse Road. I used to ride my little BMX bike from my townhouse in yeah, Country yeah. Crossings. BMX I mean, I'm telling you, these are words I haven't used in forever. And I would go down from um, Walbert Avenue, turn on uh, Springhouse Road, and ride down to the junior high, and that's how I'd get to uh, junior high school every I day. I live in the old Greenewalds neighborhood. Oh, I totally know where that is, yeah. So right off, yeah. of, uh, actually, so if you take Albright's Avenue out towards th- uh, Cedar Crest Boulevard there through the cornfields mm-hmm. or whatever that is, that elementary school, what is that? That's not Troxel. Is that Troxel? Or is that a different uh, No, that might be Troxel, yeah. It might be Troxel. The other one, on the other side of Greenewalds, if you're going towards Walbert Avenue from Whitehall Avenue, if, you remember, if I'm connecting yeah. for you. yeah. And yeah, totally. Was was the bar, the paddock there back then? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The paddock, the Crest Inn. My yeah, mom yeah. used to bartend at the Crest right. Inn. So on is that, that still there on Walbert Avenue? I, I, the Crest Inn. The Crest I, Inn. Oh, I, Crest yeah, Inn. A, oh, I, yeah. See, I, I I didn't live here, so I didn't I didn't start li- becoming an Allentonian until uh, is that a thing? 
Philippine Island. Okay, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't start. So I started dating my now wife, which is like seven, eight years ago. So uh, I was actually. I, I lived out west. I mean, part of the branding in case I don't even think you know that much about living fuel, but you know, there's fire in the logos. I'm a former firefighter, so I I left the corporate life. And I knew you were you were a hotshot, right? Weren't yeah. you? Or a smoke jumper? Hotshot, hot right? Hotshot. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. Because that's the total difference. Yeah. Oh, I'm total clar- difference. I'm clarifying that very well when this book comes out because there's two type one like top of the food chain crews. There's smoke jumpers and there's hot mm-hmm. shots, and everybody's just like, oh man, so you skydived out of planes, right? I'm like, I do skydive out of planes for fun. But I do not do that for my job. It was a hotshot role. Like, what's that? Yeah. I'm like, I didn't know either. So that's, well, why, let me, that's why I'm writing the book. <laughs> let me give you some kudos, actually, because I, I think while it sounds cooler to be a smoke jumper, uh, first of all, all that gear you have to wear is just crazy. You need to jump into a fire, but you get plopped into fire. Hot shots in my book are 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 the athletes of the two because yeah, uh, they ha- they have well because they have to hike the heck out of themselves to get into the fire. So they're crossing through fire to get into the center of it. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I st- for some reason I studied fire a long time ago. I, I lived in Colorado, so, and so know, I'm intrigued too. I lived in Colorado as well. So, oh, by the way, yeah. and I used to live in Greenville, South Carolina. So, but there you go, so that's man. Cool. That's where I'm now. We're overlapping way too much, man. So uh, yeah, way too much. But yeah, we can we can come on to that. Uh, two marketing branding geeks are combining on a podcast, and it turns out all this overlap in the first, what? I don't even know how long we've been on, online now. Uh, yeah, two minutes, minutes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, where we already devoted too much time to the Lehigh Valley. Well, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some of my really good friends still live there. My brother uh, moved back home. He lived overseas, moved back home uh, to Bethlehem, yep. uh, of all places. Uh, he worked at... You know how to pronounce it right. Oh, right, for sure. Um, he was actually at uh, Moravian College for a while, and then he just moved out of the country again. But uh, I never even visited him when he was there for five years. I have not been back since 99, maybe. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a long time. That's when I left. I <laughs> I, I graduated Penn Arjo in 95, so you're not, you got me by a couple of years. My wife is like five okay. years younger than me, so that's whatever younger than you. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I went to Penn State, Allentown, back when it was uh, in Foglesville. Now it's... I mean, you've been gone for so long. Over off of I-78, south of Allentown is uh, on the way to Quakertown. There's a massive outdoor promenade mall. And oh, really? They took over. There was a college right there, not far from DeSales University. It was like one of those smaller colleges. I think it was called like Allentown College or something. I don't know. And then mm-hmm. uh, Penn State bought the campus and relocated it there because it's bigger. And, and that and that okay. school became okay. defunct. So, so there you go. You've been gone for a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So no, no disparagement to the to the folks there or to you there, but it's just you know, growing. I left for a reason. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I got. I'm with you. I was here till '99, and then changed careers. And then one of my oldest friends, he used to live up here too, but he was originally from the South Carolina. He had moved back there, and he's like, "Dude, why don't you come down and check out Greenville?" So that was 2000 uh, when I did. Okay. That. And and even Greenville has morphed since then. So we can shout out to Greenville yeah. because. My buddy still lives there. And actually, I was just texting him before this call. And he and I go back you know, t- over 20 years. And he's like, dude, Greenville has exploded so much. They have to stop. I'm like, why? He's like, we've exceeded the infrastructure. And I was like, oh, 100%. Is that a thing? He's like, oh, it's a thing now. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I mean, this great little town kind of, it's, it's kind of a mixture of Asheville, North Carolina with a little bit of, you know, I don't know, infusion from the North, maybe, I guess is the best way to say it. And no one knew about it. And it's just a little gem. And I, I recently heard, because I, I had a researcher for something, 
It's the fourth fastest growing city per capita in the U.S., which is insane. Yes. But look, if you're a cyclist, you know, we're going to talk about endurance athlete, athletes and sports. But if you're a cyclist at all, George Hincapie, you know, seven time, 17 time um, Tour de France rider lives here. He owns a hotel here. The riding here is amazing. Uh, former U.S. Olympian Bobby Julik, another postal rider, uh, Kristen Vandeveld. I mean, so many. Uh, Lance Armstrong comes here all the time to to uh, meet up with George. It is an amazing place to ride. So if if you're listening yeah, and you want to ride, ride. Uh, oh man, it's amazing. Well, it's amazing. So when I would, whenever I would road trip west in t- 2010 and 2011, when I decided to get a little escape to become a firefighter, I would road trip south. Like my my base was in Arizona, but I would go to okay. I would go to I would go to Greenville and be like, why? And that's not on the way at all. And I said, because I got to go hang with my buddy Will. And I'd swing down. <laughs> and my bikes are on the roof my whole life. Always was always in my car those two years. I li- pretty much lived out of Of course. And, and then I had another buddy of mine who I eventually helped open up one of the biggest mountain biking shops and cycling shops in the Denver area now called Pedal. And okay. uh, that was after fire. But uh, he used to live down in Georgia. So I would hit Will. And then I'd call up Andy. And I'm like, yo, I was like, what races are going on? I need to train. You know, it's off season. I'll just go, you know, so I, I rolled, I'd be there for like a week or so, week or two, hang out between South Carolina, Georgia, get in some riding. And it was always like right at the end of winter up here. So it was a little brisk to ride down there, but as mm-hmm. you guys know, you don't get the ice and the, and the crap that we get here. Uh, right. So, right. Not at all. Not at all. I forget the name of the, it was an endurance mountain bike race in Georgia. I can't think of it, but it, it was awesome. Cause it was, I, that's when I started getting into, I was already a roadie. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I know how to ride centuries and all these charity events. Let's let's apply it to mountain biking. And that's one of the first endurance mountain bike races I did down there. And uh, I ended up having a mechanical. My buddy ended up, you know, podiuming because he's much better than me. So, and then I well, it sounds like, <laughs> well, it sounds like you've just been around. And uh, I mean, it's awesome because one, one of the things that I've learned is that, uh, and I like, grew up riding, my mom rode, uh, I would steal her, she had a men's bike, she had a men's Bianchi for some reason, she never really Dude, rode it that much. I mean. Oh, totally. And I didn't know at the time that I had like, and, and back in, you're talking about in the eighties, it was an amazing, amazing bike. My brother used to race, I mean, the, right near you at the Trustertown Velodrome on Friday yeah. nights. Left and rebranded. So, I still yeah. call Oh, it has really? Oh yeah, no. What's, uh, it, been, what's it called? I only know Put you on the, the spot here. I mean, it's uh, I'm terrible at it. It's a local. Oh, uh, Valley Preferred Medical bought it, and they they rebranded as Valley Preferred Cycling Center. Uh, oh man, welcome. To no, it, it will always to be Town because it's always been nicknamed T Town. It's always been T Town. Yeah, so they kept T Town. They're using some of that sub branding. And my buddy's actually a track racer there now. He's under um, oh god, what's her name? She was a pro Olympic level athlete, and she finally retired. She's been coaching. George, I can't think of her name right. Anyway, yeah, it's now called the. Well, I used to, I used to ride my mom's Bianchi uh, for years. I would steal it; she wouldn't know it. And because it was a little bit bigger than me, I kind of grew into it. And we actually moved to Germansville, way up uh, Route 309. We were just a little bit outside the Parkland School District, but I refused to go to Northwestern High School. It was a different (laughs) district, so I would ride my bike almost every day to train um, for wrestling from Germansville down the back way through down to the old. Parkland High School, which is in Overfield. And it was just a fantastic ride. And and gosh, you're talking about Bicycling Magazine was right there because Rodale was in Emmaus. Oh, yeah. I mean, it still is. I and they sold it. But listeners, Rodale, uh, again, because, you know, Kyle should know these guys. Uh, they're, they're one of the biggest, uh, uh, I don't want to call them printing, but publishers like Men's Health, Women's mm-hmm. Health, all those publications, all those magazines. Yeah, Prevention, Organic, yeah. Uh, all those. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great place to... If you went to a yeah, they, right now, they sold a lot of it. Yeah, all that. Most of the buildings actually just got rescued by the town of Emmaus. They're going to repurpose them. 
because now they're pretty much based out of New York and that's right. really it. And right. But that was the heyday. It was, I mean, people would, people would ride all the time. They'd go down through Albertus and Kutztown and ride, you know, all back there. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was fantastic. So we're talking now about Denver Boulder. You told me, you mentioned you were in Arizona, uh, Greenville and the Lehigh Valley. I mean, you're talking about some of the best cycling in, I think in the country. I like you wanted to get the hell out of this area. (laughs) So obviously firefighting (laughs) helped me do that. Right. Right. Actually, to be fair, I left for Greenville, then came back, and then I was here for a few years, then finally went west, right? But then, you know, Arizona, and, and my base was three hours north of Phoenix uh, in the Tonto National Forest. So I was, the first year, I didn't know any better. I kept going to spend my time off with my buddy down in, down in Scottsdale. He had a sweet pad, but it was hot as hell, and if you've ever been to Scottsdale. And then, then I found Flagstaff, great mm-hmm. cycling community, too, because they have yep. an Olympic training center up there because they're high altitude, 7,000 feet. Um, but... Yeah, I realized even out there and even living in, I used to live in Golden, right on the front range. I'd connect with yep. all the bike yep. networks around there. Yep. Look, look out mountain all the way up to yeah. Buffalo oh, yeah. Bills. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. My first time through Evergreen wake up call. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's only, it's like, it's only four miles, but it's some of the best switchback riding I've ever ridden. And in Colorado, it's kind of the thing you need to do. So but yeah, definitely. On that note, I, mm-hmm. I, I was never going to come back here to Pennsylvania, right? Like I'm in the Holy land. I'm hiking 14ers. I'm skydiving. I'm road biking in these epic mountains. I'm a huge skier. I spent years as a USSA ski race coach um, here on the East Coast. So my wife grew up ski racing. So that's a connection for us. So most of our vacations are in the winter <laughs> to go back out to Vail and everything else. Okay. But on your note, road cycling was not the top of my list living out West. Mountain biking became the top rung, right? So it was either mm-hmm. mountain biking or skiing. Road biking fell in for training. Coming back here, it, it flipped for the first couple of years being back because I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot these wonderful, quiet backcountry roads being a colonial state. That's what I figured mm-hmm. out. And maybe you can correct me on it, but I'm like, wait a minute, colonial state, one of the founding states of this great nation. Mm-hmm. There's so many freaking back roads. Like some are still not even paved. Like there's some gravel ones or whatever. And I'm like, I yeah. don't care. Because nowadays gravel grinding and cycling is huge. So um, mm-hmm. I'm considering getting one now because half my buddies picked up gravel grinders as well. But the point is, it was dangerous back in Colorado. There's no shoulders on those mountain roads and there's people getting hit and killed. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, so when I came back here, I was like, Oh my God, I've refound that love of road cycling. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I have all these great roads. And so, yeah. And you've got just the scenery is, uh, if I recall, I mean, there's like what, 12 covered bridges. Um, oh, the covered in bridge just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great century ride. That's a hundred miler you can do. Yeah. I mean, you just get to ride these, these wonderful pristine roads. Uh, unfortunately, no, though nowadays, I mean, people are getting hit everywhere, but, uh, but you're right. It's a little bit safer in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Are you a roadie too? You said you're endurance. So let me, yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and funny enough, I learned how to mountain bike when I was in visiting some, uh, some friends in Delaware who went to uh, university of Delaware, gosh, 90, three ninety four, and you've got these little flow trails there that are there's no hills there's nothing and so you're riding you're cruising and man this is awesome that's flat <laughs> yeah and i'm like okay that's mountain biking so i move out to boulder to go to college uh this is you know and uh and was like let's go mountain bike i'm like man i'm in i love mountain biking and they take me on this gnarly single track gravel like like pea gravel like six inches deep you're sinking in in this stuff i mean I, i'm oh, they took you into that one? Oh, oh. it was 
awful. I mean, like you're talking about the edge, like a, a knife edge of a ridge that if you fall off. I know exactly what you're talking about because I was like, why is there pea gravel all over the freaking trail? It's awful. It was awful. And, uh, and and it was so technical. And I'm just I'm just not a technical guy. Like I, I'm not bunny hopping over stumps or anything. So yeah. so I bailed. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I did I did go into cyclocross and gravel for a bit when I was living in Portland, but never been back on a mountain bike and all because of that bad experience. Yeah. So. You see, this, this, this frustrates me because I, I don't call myself a cycling coach, but I've helped a lot of people graduate through different biking, you know, levels of experience, right? You got to, don't torture the newbie, right? It's, <laughs> right. You know, don't break their love of a possible new sport to excite them. That's not fair to you. That's a shame. Um, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So on that note. My, my brother-in-law works here at the office oh, and yeah? I can see him through my he's glass saying, window and I. I think he's watching live right now, and I'm, I'm I, I keep seeing laughing. So who knows what's going on? <laughs> so, so, so hold on. Have you taken your brother-in-law back up here to Allentown either? No, you've, you've not been back ever. Like in- no, my my wife my wife hasn't seen it. Um, it, it was really funny where I was I was with, with her over lunch, and I said I was doing this podcast uh, before we go out to dinner, and she said, um, she, I, I told her, I said that's guy in Allentown. She goes, Why has Allentown come up so many times in the last like three days, and it hasn't come up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we started watching that HBO show um, with uh, what's, what's her name, Kate Winslet, in it. And the first scene, they talk about Allentown, really? and it's just, it's a, yeah, it's a fictitious town in Pennsylvania, but they they mention real towns. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I've been trying my whole life to avoid the word Allentown, and now everyone's and, talking about uh, it. You know, that's a different podcast, but we might have to dig up this this clearly scarring past. For you. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I I'm never talking about Allentown ever again. Yeah, so, no, I used to say I was from Philly because if you say from my generation, if you said you were from Allentown, people either started singing the Billy Joel song yes. or they had no idea where it was and you had to represent Philly anyway. So I would just say Philadelphia and I'm starting to come around. Now, listen, some of my great friends are still there uh, or in around there. I said my brother lived there for a while. I told you that this area has exploded. I mean, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard like microbreweries and. A lot of my friends and family, well, my family does, but a lot of like my extended friends don't know this yet. So if they're watching this channel tonight live, um, I'm in the process of buying another house. So it, tooth, because of COVID, mass exodus out of New York City, because you know, it's only about an hour and a half, maybe hour 15 right. if you have good traffic. And we're about an hour north of Philly. So the two big cities, people just keep encroaching deeper away, away, away. And it's a bidding war. And you're, we, we basically had to go, 30 grand over list just to get, just to be in the running. Yeah. <laughs> like put your best offer. That's it. No, no inspections, nothing. So and now we're going to rent this property. So that's the other thing. You can't find rentals. So yeah. my, my wife, I'm away in, uh, I was actually in Albany, New York last week on business. And she didn't listen to me and she listed our house, the current house for rent. And I was like too soon, less than 24 hours. She had over 90 inquiries. 90. 90. So there's an idea. So uh, granted, it's a beautiful old 1910 house. My wife's great grandfather uh, built it. If you ever remember the Surface family, um, Mm -hmm. that's my wife's family. Um, They they had found a company called Surface Construction here. It's all local thing. I don't know. Anyway, now they're very successful and they drive Teslas for company cars and uh, it it all all started. (laughs) Sounds nice. It started my garage out back. I was like, okay, clearly the family business has left. Um, So, because her her brother's now one of the co-vice presidents. So it's definitely not the old, hey, I'm going to build your church and build your fire department construction company. Now they're, it's all construction management. Like they built one of the newest high rises uh, office buildings in downtown Allentown two years ago with like a 12 story glass skyscraper. Well, Allentown skyscraper. 
Uh, right. What's what's a Greenville skyscraper? Oh, uh, I mean, gosh, I don't even know how tall. Um, they're not they're not super big. I mean, I think the tallest one. They they definitely just built a bunch. I mean, maybe maybe a hotel, eleven stories, okay. maybe ten, so eleven stories. Maybe maybe not even that. Like Allentown, then, yeah, because they're not going much higher than that. Twelve to fifteen. I think. Last I checked, when I moved here a couple years ago, uh, I think they were saying that the total area was about the size of Bethlehem is now. So you're talking of uh, a fairly small town, which is uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, we're, we're close by to, you know, Clemson University and, and things like that. Like I said, an hour to Asheville, an hour to Charlotte. Right. But for the most part, this is still a pretty small town. Wow. I love it. I love it. I never thought I would love a small town again, but, uh, but I absolutely do. Well, it's funny because uh, a, how do I explain this? A client of my client, just bought a site in Greenville. I just found this out on a phone call two hours ago. So they oh, wow. hey, we're buying a, a new distribution center and we're going to be, dis- it's a manufacturer based out of Oklahoma and they manufacture like silicone, like use okay. all things industrial, HVAC and plumbing and everything else. Anyway, like, Hey, we're just going to, we're going to improve East coast distribution. We just bought a site. I'm like where at? He's like, Oh, Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I used to live there. So that's uh, awesome. Apparently, Green, Greenville is, is booming in all fronts, residentially and commercially. So Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great place. So, oh. All right, well, let's talk about something like yes. other we than where we live. This, but we've actually subtly trickled in components of cycling, mountain biking. Um, obviously, you and I both have an endurance sports background. Your history yep. before uh, coming to uh, this this newer brand, right, the brand leader, is was based in triathlete uh, world, right? Triathlons, writing, all that, editing. Uh, not, not directly before this, but yeah, uh, I started my career by, well, I'll tell you that I, I really wanted to write for magazines. I wanted to write for outside men's health, men's journal, all the ones we talked about. Yeah. And they just wouldn't have me. They're like, Hey, nice job, kid. Here's a lollipop. Go read our magazine somewhere else. And, and I was like, wait, 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 I, I think I'm a good writer. I think I can handle this. And they wouldn't even give me the time of day. So I, uh, I did my first triathlon in the fall of 1999. I, I did the, uh, the Catalina Island triathlon off the coast of Los Angeles. I had lost a hundred and change pounds to do my first race. I was miserable. I was unhappy. And so I gained all this weight. Long story. I ended up losing it all because I was training for triathlons and I didn't know I was, I was just, I was running and my knees couldn't, uh, you know, sustain me because I was too heavy. So I started biking like I used to. And then long story short, I'm cycling, swimming and running. And someone said, you should do a triathlon. I said, okay. And I signed up for one in November of 1999. I, so I just love how, Oh, I'm already doing all three sports and your, your friend or colleague just says, well, you just go do a triathlon. I'm like, sure. well, the first thing I said, the first thing I said was I'm like that crazy thing in Hawaii. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. Like, like people do it all the time. Now they have, they've got like little ones around here. And I'm like, so I looked it up and, and you know, this is just at people were still doing like news forums and things on the internet. There was not a lot of like websites you can go to and find this stuff out. So I'm just that, trying to find BBS stuff. days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. There you go. So I, uh, I did my first race. I came in like the top 20% of my age group and I felt pretty good. And we're talking a really sprint triathlon. And I thought, wait, if I didn't know this and I'm, I'm cycling with cyclists and I'm running with runners and I'm swimming with the swimmers and I didn't know there was this thing called triathlons for normal people. You know, not, you know, not people who want to do the Ironman, uh, the, the world championships that well, we got to let people know about this. This has changed my life. So I started a magazine called American Tri. I did it with like $7,000 worth of savings, made no money on it for years, but ended up growing to a Wait, size big. Ownership just automatically start up with pure success and, and profits. Oh, no. This is, this is one of those things where too, 
I would never change this experience for my life, but it, I would not say it was, well, it was successful in, in many regards, but in it, for the, my first venture, I thought it was fine. We, uh, you know, we went to like 30,000 subscribers, like overnight. It was crazy. So there was two other magazines out there, one called triathlete, one called inside triathlon, both very good, but they were competing against each other. And by doing that, they kind of left their eye off the prize, which I saw coming this wave of, of, uh, triathletes and triathlons for normal people. So while they were competing to be the sports illustrator for triathlons, I was oh, like, athletes. Okay. yeah, anyway. I mean, we're talking pros on the cover. Because no one knew who these guys were. I said, I want to, I want to do one for people like us. And, and worlds just collided in a great way because USA triathlon had tripled that year. Uh, people who were members went from like 20,000 to like 68,000 to 120,000. It was crazy. So we just happened to be at the right spot at the right time. And so I said, we're going to do a magazine for what they call age groupers, basically amateurs. And this is like the running boom of the seventies, but it was the triathlon boom of the late nineties, early two thousands. It just got greenlit for the Athens games in 2000 and 2000. And so it was just like, everything was right there. And so I happened to call Dave Scott up, who was a six time Ironman world champion. They call him the man. He's so well known. He said, I'll write for you. Right. The the man. Uh, I called up a guy named Matt Haugen, who at the time was coaching the U S national triathlon team at a Colorado Springs. He said, I'm in. And uh, I called up some bike brands and, and I called Cliff Bar up and all these folks and everyone's like, let's do it. Because I think they saw that there was an opportunity here for, for folks like us to just become better at the sport. So it's all about how to train well, how to, how to get fit, how to eat right, um, how to pick the right running shoes, where everything else was talking about, look at those guys and look at those expensive bikes. This was, how do you, how do you buy a bike? How can you do your first triathlon on a mountain bike and just put slicks on it? How do you uh, change out your running shoes. How do you do a transition area? We had sections in the How front of the book. Flat tire, quick change out, you know? No, oh, totally. And and people didn't know that because it wasn't like in the seventies where you threw on a pair of running shoes and you just went out for a while. This was about, okay, you have to make an investment. And if you don't know you're going to be in the sport, or if you don't know you're going to like it, how do you, how do you do this? And again, put I mean, a section. Because again, triathlons can be very expensive, right? So. Oh, completely. Yeah. I was just I, literally talking to, uh, Tony DeBoom yesterday, he was a professional triathlete. His brother won the Ironman World Championships in 2001 and two. And he was just talking about, and this was yesterday, how 20 years ago when we were all in the sport together, now he couldn't afford the bikes that he rode back then because they're so expensive. It's oh, ridiculous. My, I'll call it a new mountain bike. Give you an idea. My first mountain bike was a full rigid, no front suspension. Uh, for 1996, when I was taking classes at Penn State, you could actually take a class here locally. It was for, for cycling and mountain biking. I'm like, feeling like that's cool. I'm like, this is awesome. They had a skiing class. That's cool. They had a mountain yeah. biking class. I'm like, I don't <laughs> I'm think in. that exists anymore, but I highly recommend it. And <laughs> I, I bought my, my, he's like, well, you need to get a more legit bike. Okay. So I bought a, I think it was like 600 bucks. Like a, it was a giant Yukon. And that bike shop is still there to this day in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Kurt's Cyclery. In Nazareth, we used to wrestle those guys uh, in high school. So yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, but if so anyway, that's it's just funny. Now the current mountain bike in my garage, uh, Santa Cruz Highball, top of the line build, the best of everything. I even have Di2 power shifting, like you normally see on road biking, is on this yeah. mountain bike. Carbon, nice out the wazoo. The only thing I did was actually I got it from my buddy at Pedal in Littleton, Colorado. Give him a shout out because he he came back to visit because he's from here, and this is right before COVID kicked in. He's like, hey, I got this bike sitting on eBay. I'm like, you're a bike owner that carries a million dollars of inventory. Why do you have a bike on eBay? 
He's like, well, I built this top of the line, best of everything in 2016. It's been hanging on the wall at the shop and nobody's had the balls to buy it. And I was like, what's it worth? He's like, well, it's probably about a, you know, $8,800 build. I'm like, what? <laughs> so like, you know, I, my voice got high because <laughs> it's like, I'm not paying that. And he shows it on eBay. He's going to buy it now for $2,500. Brand new. It's just a few wow. years old. I'm like. I mean, the so DIT was worth that. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I picked it up two seasons ago for that. And I was like, oh, my God. And thank, thank you I did because the, unfortunately during the COVID, right, you can't find used anything. And that's. Oh, they were, they were out. Yeah. Technically old new. And, and he was he said he sold through his old new immediately in within months. So anyway, it's just funny because I'm like, I spent twenty five hundred dollars on that bike, drop another three hundred on a dropper post upgrade. And that's about it. That's all I had to do to it because it's a it's, it's that's my new race bike that I'll be using this year for some races. So uh, nice. It's a hard to nice. full suspension. But it's like nowadays, I don't mind dropping two grand, three grand on a bike. It's amazing how things have changed. And technically, there's a nine thousand dollar bike, but I didn't pay that. So. I don't like to pay retail. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was the same way. I used to get, you know, wetsuits and shoes and whatever we needed sent to us, bikes, wheels, yeah. uh, aero bars, whatever. And then you realize that the cost of that when you're actually a working adult with uh, with a family is, is quite different. Yeah. You, but anyway. You, you we, learn to love the pro form, right? You know, I, I have, oh, I oh totally. Yeah, you're lucky. You're lucky because it's expensive. But what we did for, for folks like you and uh, for anyone else, we just gave you a place that you felt like you could belong to a sport that otherwise seemed very, uh, very insular. And so we had, we were the first magazine of the time. And I'm talking the first magazine, not the first triathlon magazine to have a section dedicated to women, a section dedicated to masters, a section, a section dedicated to Clydesdales and a section dedicated to collegiate athletes. And real quick, and people listening, Clydesdales references the, let's call it the heavier weight class. It doesn't mean you're an obese athlete or like that, but like my buddy, no. Andy, who owns that bike shop, he's just a, He's my height, but he's a thicker dude. So he's actually- Yeah, you're just, you're just bigger. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, one, what is the cutoff? 200 for men, I think? I think so. Because I, well, my fire weight was 195. I hang right between 185 and 190 these days. So, okay. and I'm not a Clydesdale. So I think it is like 200 or- yeah, yeah, I was never a Clydesdale. I'm about the same 185, 190. And yeah, I think I was never a Clydesdale. I think it was, I think it was 200. Okay. But, but regardless, I mean, you're talking about whether they were fantastic triathletes or not, they were still athletes and they're still out there doing it. And you've got, I don't care how big you are or if you're like, quote, in shape or out of shape, you have significant different needs at that size. I mean, just the, 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 you know, the, the square inches of pound pressure you put on your feet as you run is just substantially different. So we would talk about things for them. We talked about, we were the first there was a woman out of uh, California. Her name was Rachel Sears. She was a, a semi-pro athlete. She married a guy named Phil Casanta, names I haven't heard of in years, uh, who was a, a coach out there. And she convinced me that uh, there was a, there's a methodization in, uh, in any kind of training called periodization. And that is, you know, how you peak, when you peak, how you put base miles in, so forth, and you get ready for a race. And it's this series of, I guess you would say, weeks to train for race. And so she wrote an article on periodization. It was all about how do women stay at their top performance if they're on their period. And we're talking, people were telling me, don't print that article. And she was telling me, you need to print this article. And I'll tell you, I've never received before or since, and I, and I wrote for other magazines after this, so many positive reviews from women saying, I, no one ever told me this stuff. So I think we were, we were really groundbreaking in many ways. I wish I would have known then that it, we were so so forthright and so um, innovative because I think we could have capitalized on it. It could have been oh, more successful. Just the past three years, 
right? Just, yeah. Just, I mean, I mean yeah. obviously more than that, but especially there's been a lot of metamorphosis of, of balance of sexuality and mm-hmm. ethnicity and all cultural impacts. Like if you guys could have, could have expanded on that, it's, it's funny. Um, but I see, I don't live in the past thinking about, man, I wish I could have done that or done that. And it sounds like you don't either, right? It's like, what have I learned from all that process and then carry it forth into today? So it's pretty cool that you guys were yeah. so groundbreaking back then because, I mean, just me looking from the outside in, I look at that and I look at you and obviously I looked at your background and I'm like, okay, the guy likes, the guy knows branding, you know, e-commerce, brand growth, you know, probably looks at retail trends. I think that's part of your background, you know, yep. but it's like, if I can help these big brands and, and some of the ones you worked with, I think you've, I, I was looking at your sheet. I, I own, I've owned Keens. Uh, I'm actually a Lululemon, whatever. I'm in their athlete list. Am, I a ambassador. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Okay. So it's funny how, even though these are big successful brands now, they still have to learn to adapt to that bread and butter audience, right? So just like you had yeah. said, like, great. Some people love reading about top athletes, but who's paying the bills day in and day out and actually buying and selling most of the products? It's the mid, you know, the middle tier, the entry level athletes, just like you're talking about. So right. I feel like you took right. all that experience from the, from the magazine and just carried it forward into today. It's like, don't forget to adjust your branding and your marketing around the people that are actually spending most of the money. <laughs> You're articulated in a way that I don't think I ever had or have, but I can tell you, and I hadn't thought about it this way, but well, one, let me correct you a little bit. I, I used to look back, look back in the past quite a bit. And I used to look back with some disdain, some, um, that. I've done it. you know, feelings of shame, you know, things like that. And, and I had to come to grips with the fact that, uh, look, I made a lot of mistakes. I still make a lot of mistakes. And, and, a lot of that was a learning curve, and I'm thankful enough that people gave me the opportunity to learn because of I, because of failure. However, one of the things that I realized, and I, I didn't until very very recently at the brand leader, that that all of those jobs I worked with the the magazine in particular, but then going on to Inside Triathlon, writing for their you know magazines, working other brands, is that American Tri in particular set me up to understand that everyone's different. The folks we just talked about you know, uh, athletes of all kinds, shapes, sizes, ages, whatever. Um, and it's all about people. It's all about relationships. Life is about relationships, just full stop. And we, we try to honor that uh, at the business we're in right now. We had a pitch meeting today, for example, and, and uh, they asked why we're so different. And, and the staff I'm with alongside of me actually just jumped in and said, you know, well, here's why we're a family. We do this when we, we work with integrity and honesty and, you know, conviction and authenticity and, and all of the, all of our brand pillars. And, and I'm like, gosh, it really is about people. If you don't have a relationship with the people, no matter what it is, if you're not giving them something in a handshake deal, you pay for my magazine, I'll give you some information or, or you pay to get rebranded. We'll give you a great rebrand, whatever it might be. It's all about people. And that's what it taught me the most. And so I appreciate you saying that because all those great brands, Lululemon, Nike, Dr. Martens, all the ones I kind of came in and out of, depending on what the year I learned all about people and how to treat people. I didn't do it well then. I try to do it better now, but how to treat people, how to listen to people and how to give them what they need. You know, let's, let's pause that little, that one little spot right there. I think it sounds like you can reflect like, just like me and like I was in the business world and then I was chasing the dollars and salaries and everything else. And I, I started losing that connection to I, I had I had 30 40 person teams I was managing and um, then I'm okay. more so, so you know oh yeah I've, and it's like from a managerial perspective it's like you know each and every single employee on my team has a different background different way of mm-hmm. life different current lifestyle I don't know what's going on in their home life and I, I used to 
the worst part of managing people years ago was was having to fire them. I I, I hated it. It sucked. I was like, it was like, I felt like I was yeah. losing part of my soul because I'm like, you know, I've had to work my way up from very little. I grew up on a farm. I didn't make a lot of money. I've dug, I've clawed I've, to get where I'm at today. And they were doing the same thing. Or granted, some people behaviorally clearly don't have work ethic. I'll just leave it at that. And others do. And, and others try. And, you know, life does get in the way. It's, it's amazing how today, 2021, it's not perfect yet, but the increased level of lifestyle balance for work-life balance is at an all-new high. And if people haven't figured that out yet, they need to listen to this now. I mean, thanks to virtual communication, uh, I, I, never, I never worked on Zoom years ago. I've been on Zoom oh, for yeah, no five years now. So when Zoom started blowing up during COVID, I'm like, uh, what do you want to know? I've been on it for a while. I've owned the stock for a while. I'm very happy that I own the stock. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's funny, mm-hmm. like, guys, like, okay, companies like Twitter, Switch their whole employee staff, right, to virtual now. So totally. that new potential of managing different ways of managing, different way of leading, different way of building these interpersonal relationships like you. You got a brother-in-law you get to work with. But now people have the option. Maybe I don't have to go to the office. I could work from home a couple of days a week. You know, how is my lifestyle right. kicking in? And now people like you guys, including your own team, you guys get to interact at a whole different level, connect at a whole different level now versus 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's maddening because um, when you have the ability to work separately, it's, it's great because you, and we're big on unlimited vacation and just get your work done kind of thing and, you know, whatever. And when we split up during COVID, we actually moved into this brand new um, gutted, renovated building for the studio in February. And a week later, we all went home for COVID. And I think everyone missed the office at first because we had this great, you know, this great building, new computers and all that sort of thing. But then we realized we really missed each other. And so we came back and left three times. We had three different scares after the first lockdown. And so we'd come back and we leave. And then we did the shift thing. We finally all came back together April 1st. So just this month. And, and there's something that happens when you're all, and maybe it's because we're in creative space because it's design and branding and so forth. But there's something happens that when I can walk over to somebody and riff off something, those old kind of hallway or elevator conversations you'd have in corporate world where that's really where the meat is. That's really, that's what's exciting. It's not, it's not, I'm going to make this polished and finished and perfect before I send it to you. And then you, you say yes or no, this is I'm in the middle of struggling and you see me struggling or you give me an idea because you play some music in the office or you say something or you walk over and see what I'm doing. And that collaboration is amazing. That's what we missed. So it's really weird because I want to be able to embrace the work anywhere ethic and ethos. And I think all of us would prefer that if we could, but then you, as soon as you leave, you're like, yeah, but we, we don't have each other. And that's what really makes, especially our business really special is the people that work here really make the work shine. And without that, when you're home, it's just, it's just not the same. It's really, it's really strange. I'm completely online and virtual. So I do have a couple of virtual people that I outsource to stuff like that. I don't have, team agency that you're talking about, but I agree with you 110%. There is, you cannot be, you cannot find the same psychological connectivity virtually that you do physically. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously I want people to be healthy and safe and whatever your position is on COVID and all this transition. But I was like, in the end, especially an agency like you guys, heck yeah, dude, I'd be in the office. I was like, yeah, uh, give people an extra day or two out of the week if they want to work from home. But like, yeah. When it comes push comes to shove, the creative teams I've worked with over the years, whether even with other companies, 
I love traveling to that company and go meet with them in person. Or we all meet at a, co a coast co-working space or whatever people want to meet at. I love it. I love going to conferences and conventions. Like I'm a connectivity person. I have to connect in person. So it, there is a whole different psychological benefit from that, especially from a creative perspective. I 100% agree. Like everybody's like yeah. stand in front of the dry erase board. Maybe you got a glass wall or whatever your space is. Um, just having to be able to like toss stuff. And like you just said, Actually, it's funny because I just thought of this book. Um, it was actually probably about a year ago. You ever read the Elon Musk? It's kind of like a documentary book. It's Elon Musk. It's all about Tesla, SpaceX, the quest for a fantastic future, the book is called. It came out in 2017. And I finally got around to finding out Audible, and I listened to it last year when I was traveling. And okay. one of the key pieces they talk about, they basically give you kind of a synopsis of his growth. And mm -hmm. uh, he tells about, he actually he would never let a book be written about him until this this book. Anyway, he talks about just what you just said. When he built Tesla, or he started building Tesla, no walls. He wanted engineers and and the people doing the manufacturing of the rockets, like and the cars and everything, all in the same space, one big warehouse. Like that's the way it is in California. It's like you come in that way, an engineer could just walk right over to the guy doing the building and say, "Hey, I'm I'm about to make this tweak. Do you think that's going to work?" Right? It's right. like, okay, great. Or the old way of doing things. An engineer designs something and then just expects somebody to build it and never bother thinking about the mechanical values of what's happening there or something like that. So that level of connectivity he talks a lot about in that book. And it's funny you brought that up because it's the first thing I thought of. And that guy's pretty successful at what he does. So Yeah, I think I've heard of him. Yeah. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Toss the neighbor around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's cool you that's guys right. recognize all that. And, and obviously, I think what I overheard is do your clients prefer that too? Uh, do they miss being able to meet in person? Obviously, from different companies, they're, they're located in different parts of the country, if not the world. Um, a lot of times things are obviously virtually based on meetings. So, Yeah, you know, it's interesting because to be honest, we were so concerned. I mean, if you remember back when everyone got sent home for stay-at-home orders, and I know you guys hit, got hit with it before we did, um, or, or to that level, but... Uh, I didn't think about the clients. We were so concerned about the people and, and our family. We recalled all the children. Um, one daughter flew home from Colorado. We, uh, my wife uh, has a couple of children from her ex-husband. And so we, we made them stay with us full time. And, and, and uh, my kids were safe back at their mother's house. And so it was like, we just kind of like went into hunker down mode. And I don't think I thought about our clients during the first two weeks. It was just because no one knew. It was, I mean, it was, it, was, it was that kind of thing where I don't think we'll ever feel this way. You know, you, you've, people were making it seem like you were going to walk outside and, and catch this thing and die in the street. And so, well, I mean, quickly that went away, but, and as that started to happen, we started going to our, our, our customer base and seeing what was going on, but now they were doing the same thing we were, and we have a lot of national uh, companies. And so the people we're dealing with the C-suite or the CEO himself, or even the VP of marketing at some places, they're dealing with their own stuff, their own families and how to close businesses down and, and whatnot. And we helped a lot of them figure out how to, maneuver through that time through marketing and, and just marketing the, the correct you know communication message, not trying to sell anything during that time. And we kind of were okay. It was about two, three months into it where we started having some routine calls. Now we're all at home and we were going back to our cycle of every week, checking in with our clients. And some of them were like, I really would love to be in person. And of course, nobody was comfortable yet at that time, but it wasn't too much longer after that, that I think that we started letting people in the office with extreme COVID protocols because they wanted the same connection, not the same connection that we're talking about for creativity and collaboration, but the, the connection that you get when you're 
you're talking about brands, you're talking about people's livelihoods and their souls. And, and when you're talking about what a brand is, it's so personal to the owners and it's so, uh, it's not theirs anymore, right? It's this thing that they've created and kind of given to the public. And so it's very personal and it's very challenging and you want to have that face-to-face conversation. So and that's what we felt from them. We're kind of back to normal now. Everyone here is vaccinated. We have, uh, we have meetings here in the office. And if you feel uh, more comfortable with us in a mask or you in a mask, we'll do it that way. But um, yeah, everyone wants to be, wants to be personal. And it, at first it was great being home. And then it's like, gosh, we miss people. Oh, I, I can tell you, like I just started traveling again and I don't technically have to, uh, but one of my biggest clients, I do a lot of business development with them and their, their, their impact is in the HVAC industry space. So that's, it's blue collar, but very white collar financially. Right. So right. Yep. they're, they're that way. Now there's, there's big distribution companies here in the Northeast that well, like my big, my, my client, she has contracts for nine different manufacturers to manage all their sales from Delaware to Maine. So these, these manufacturers wow. don't hire salespeople. They might have a VP of sales to oversee the rep firms, but then her sales rep firm manages that whole region. So she's got a guy in New England that I train and coach. They got a person here, but a lot of times I just, I just go out into the field and I go meet people <laughs> and, and I missed it. I was like, it's funny because before COVID I was like, I was going to be a little too stressed. Maybe I was traveling a little too much and I didn't want to mm-hmm. hate travel. So then, okay, great. Well, I'm, I've always been an online guy. I, can, I already have my own studio and everything else. It's funny because I started running all these, like a lot of these manufacturers aren't good at training. So I'm actually, I was like, well, here, I was like, we'll take over your training and just send me whoever needs to be trained. We set up Zoom calls, everything else. And, and like, Scott, where are you? Like, I was like, oh, I'm in my studio. He's like, you have a studio? And I'm like, yeah, I've been a podcaster for like five years. It's like, this is not my first rodeo. I'm good to go. I got everything. I got the ring yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. Look, sound, look, we're good. We're good. No, I didn't yeah. start off this way. Uh, but, you know, time time grows. So, but it was cool no, it's to great. see that, you know, and be able to give back that way too. It's like, we never did that with these companies before. All of a sudden, like, wait a minute, could you run a training for us? It was like, sure. Because yeah, like, yeah. these people, like, they don't like being on camera. They don't want to be on a microphone. They prefer to be, even after all of this, they prefer to still be behind the scenes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. But what's interesting too is um, now everything is virtual and you can even do, I mean, you know this, but now you can have whiteboard sessions and collaborations. And, and just yesterday, um, somebody was like, ah, we don't know if we should do this or not, you know, full rebrand. And I'm like, why don't we just have a conversation? He's like, well, I've got people in Orlando and I'm in Arizona and other people in Maine and so well, yeah, let's just get on a, we'll have a whiteboard session online. We can draw on each other's screens. We can, you know, post things we can. And they're like, wait, you can do that. And I'm like, well, first, where have you been for the last year? But secondly, um, no, the whiteboard thing is new to us, but it's, it's been, it's been really fun because what you're right. It has opened up doors in ways that I don't think we thought were possible. So I think you're going to see this blending of, of uh, virtual technology with physical presence and some people in the office, some people not, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest clients from the podcasting world, he is non-technology. Like, so I now, I now do all their, we now do all their social media for uh, their vitamin company, their coffee company, their nut butter company. And it all started with me just helping him crowdfund uh, a very successful movie called Fat, a documentary that he created. And now it's a second one out now too. And it's, it was all crowdfunded because I'm a geek about crowdfunding. And I'm like, yo, Vinny, I was like, Hey man, I was like, here's some tips for crowdfunding. So when you get ready to turn that campaign on, just don't do this, but do some things here. I've been on some Kickstarter campaign projects in the past. And he was like, calls me from the car, like two days later, he's like, Hey, those tips were really great. Um, our marketing girl wants nothing to do with this. And she's going to drop us. And I was like, this isn't that hard. I was like, why is she? And he's just like, do you want the business? I was like, 
well, sure, I'm just a fan of your show. I just was, I was just trying to help you out because I'm, I'm a supporter of the crowdfunding, and I took over right. everything. <laughs> so, and it's like, <laughs> there you all go. I did was just, there you just, go. It's like back to the back to your full circle, back to your earlier point, right? I was just trying to connect with where he was at. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's 58 now, so I was like, okay, he literally complains on his show all the time about he hates technology. He needs his wife to help him download an app. I'm trying to help right. him, uh, test a new platform being invested on by like Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk right now for video type stuff. And I'm like, dude, they want you. You're an influencer. I was like, it's been two weeks. I'm like, dude, just install the app. <laughs> so uh, that's a whole different podcast. So it's like, listen, no, but- he's out, I just had to meet him where he was at. Right. Let him know I get it. I know where you've been. If you want the help, I can help you. If you don't want the help, that's great. Take it easy. And now he's advanced a lot during COVID, but he still has his hindrances. So it's just interesting about, I think for brands and companies, they've been forced to just go outside the box, look at approaching mm-hmm. people differently. For example, from a marketing perspective, I'm like, hey, why don't you put out there what you've been doing to keep your employees safe, that you do care about your people, right? So it's a whole flip on marketing. Instead of pushing just products, people look at companies for their values, Right. Like, I mean, it, when I started building my company, I made sure, thanks to firefighting, because I, I have it tattooed on my back, on, on my ribs, it says, duty, respect, and integrity. That was part of our creed from the wildland firefighting world. And it meant so much to me. It left such a lasting impact on it. I was like, wait a minute. Why don't I just instill that into everything I do? And, yeah, those are your values. That's and, your brand. And why not have it behind the brand, behind the business? And it's just, yep. it, was like, it was like a bomb going off in my head. I mean, you've got right. to been there. When you're in that creative session, and it's like, Oh my God, this makes total sense. <laughs> right, right. And that's the beauty of, uh, to bring this full circle, like you said, that's the beauty of branding and what we get a chance to do is to have those or help create or help even just facilitate the space for it to happen. Uh, to have those little epiphany moments for our clients is so much fun. And work, we're working on a, on a really big job right now. And you know, we're in the process of naming the business name. It's a brand new brand. It's not a rebrand. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a maddening process. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fun. You get to determine things from the beginning, but it still has to be based in, in rooted in, I should say in, um, in their truth, in their value system, how they're going to behave, how they're going to run this business and having that moment or those moments with, with uh, the GM and the owners. And uh, there's another agency we're working with overseas when they get it. And it's just like, or when we get it, you know, to be frank, there's just a bell that goes off and it just makes it so cool. So it's, it's rare when those moments happen and when they do, it's just like lightning in a bottle. So it's yeah, pretty you guys awesome. Never do, I know nowadays we're all, we're all techie now. We can do virtual whiteboards like we were just talking about. But back when I created Live the Fuel, it was an acronym because my favorite quote when I was traveling all over the West and firefighting was from Ernest Hemingway was, uh, you know, live life to the fullest. Love mm-hmm. it. It's a great thing to live by. And then I came back and I was just trying to create my own brand, not even a marketing company at this, even though my degrees in marketing and psychology, it's like, okay, well, I'll just, I just want to have a cool brand motivational. And when I created Live the Fuel, I did the, the post-its on the wall thing. You guys ever have that creatively? I just started writing down every keyword and I covered the wall in my, my crappy apartment. And I just started like looking at the words that started standing out. And then Live the Fuel actually stands for Live the Fired Up Epic Life. And I like that. I like that. That's I, great. And I was like, when that boom, it was like, what you get excited. And it's like, I love what you guys, when you do that with a client and if you, you tell a client that like, listen, I want, I want this project so bad because I want to see you smile. I want to see you be happy. Yeah. It's cool. 
uh, when things click like that. That's super. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And, and I've been lucky and blessed enough in, in uh, just the two years since I've been running this agency that when those things happen, uh, like I said, they're rare, but we've been able to see that probably a dozen times. And it's been so special to, you know, see, you know, we work with Power Bar right now and we're about to relaunch Power Bar's website in the US. And nice. when, we show, when we showed them the development site, and they look at it and they're like, wow, that's how our brand can be shown on in that space. Like, really? And it's like when they see that and that sparks ideas from them that they get to send back to us and say, why don't you try this? Because you showed us that yeah. it's really it's just really amazing. It's really fun. It's really fun. So I love your I love your 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 quote. Um live life to the fullest. It reminds me and not to be all crazy and spiritual on you, but, uh, but Jesus said that he, he came to bring life and have life to the full. And I didn't know, know what that meant when I was a kid. And as I get older, I realized like living life to the full, isn't just packing stuff into your life. Uh, and it took me 40 some years to figure this out, but what I think what he meant, and I think what we're designed to do is to live life in a way that gives meaning and purpose and a full life can be an exciting, fun life. It doesn't need to be packed full of stuff. And so I love that you say that because that's, uh, that's kind of how I try to live my life. It's funny how it clicks. I love, I love it when I see it clicking with other people, whether it's religious or not, or whether you're, if you're a listener and you're not like I'm agnostic, whatever, but I'm still Mm -hmm. spiritual. I still believe in the human spirit. I love giving back. That's why I started my own foundation and all kinds of stuff. It's funny. You're just talking about that. I literally had like the hair stand up and I get like the little chills. I love that. Right. It's I like, love yeah. that. I was like, he's getting it because it's like, that's, and I love what you pointed out there. I've had to constantly, I, to this day, I still have to catch myself and reel myself back in what's important. What's feeling full. Um, like that's why I can't wait for the book to come out because it digs deep into me being an ass and, and just like needing to awaken myself. I even hit on the fact like my wife broke up with me before I even got married to her and I had to win her back and all this stuff. It's like, because it's like, I love bringing down the veil, getting true and true. Again, full circle back to what you said earlier in the show, right? Yeah. Authenticity, being real, showing vulnerability. There mm. is no such thing as perfection. Make your mistakes. You know, all of these fundamentals, I feel, give you a fuller life. I mean, yeah. I'm not yeah. a parent, but I'm like, for God's sakes, let your kids make some mistakes, people. That's how they're going to learn. I mean, what, yeah. what, 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 what I learned from a friend of mine, it's no longer just the helicopter parents. Now it's the lawnmower parents. They're just mowing everything down in front of the kid. So nothing is hard. And I was like, yeah. what are they going to learn? So just had to th- I had well, to sit in there. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I've never heard the lawnmower thing. That's, that's, that's pretty great. I, I mean, just, I just learned yeah. that I was like, you said you're a parent. I'm like, well, kids are older now, but still, can you imagine being a lawnmower for your kids? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, as it is. <laughs> I've got, I've got amazing children. I consider all six my own. Um, they range from 20 down to seven. Uh, and they're amazing. They're all so different. And, you know, my own biological three are completely different from each other, let alone my, uh, my stepkids. We, we joke that we say there's the only steps in our house are the stairs going upstairs because, you know, we just, we love each other, you know, just amazingly. But uh, I can tell you that, that the, that the 20 year old uh, and my 19 year old, actually, for that matter, when they grew up, they had completely different set of circumstances around them, not just how we parented. And we were both young parents uh, back in the day, but then I look at the younger ones growing up and we're like, it's not just that we're different people, but they have a different set of circumstances. So the parenting is completely different and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. But like I said, a generational parenting gap within yourselves. Right. Right. (laughs) 
So, the, so their worldview is different and my worldview has evolved and changed and iterated. And, and that's, it's beautiful in some way, but listen, I made a lot of mistakes. I definitely made mistakes with my eldest daughter growing up. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could take some of that stuff back, but I said before in, in life, I've been given the opportunity to, to make mistakes for people in business and learn from them and, and then not make them again. And I, and I, I don't want to say, I love what you said, cause I feel your pain. But when you said you were an ass, uh, I mean, my whole life was that way. Oh, yeah. And I, I treated am. people. Yeah, I, well, I I try not to be. I'm sure I come off that we, way. We but, all try not to be, but if there's always going to be that day, and it's like, all right, sure, I'm being sure. honest. Okay, let's dial it back, reset. Yeah, be better. But it, but for me, it all it revolved around that insecurity that you talked about, and and not being authentic because I was afraid of being authentic myself, and so I covered my life with the magazine and the successes and all those brands you mentioned, you know, that you were so kind about and that, that kind of shielded me from that stuff. And so I, my position of life was, listen, if I can put all this stuff in front of me, you either like me or you don't, and that's fine. But if you somehow pierce that veil, I'm going to be a jerk to you because I'm going to prevent you from knowing me. Yeah. And the one thing that I didn't have the opportunity that vulnerability to do, piece. we don't, we, yeah. we have this armor, this shield up. So. Yep. Yep. So now I get the wonderful privilege of just being exposed and in some weird way, even doing things like this with you um, is just being exposed on, on kind of the real me. And, and listen, if I'm doing something wrong, I'd love to know about it and, and fix it somehow. And now so, you know why I love podcasting. This is, the, this is the part that I like to get down to. Like, it's like, all right, man, I want people to get so comfortable that we don't give a crap what we're talking about. And yes, right. it's exciting to share business success and marketing and branding and, and our past. But it's like, also, it's like, it's, I just feel it's refreshing to connect with, you know, I'll call you a new colleague. Like you're from the same sector. We do, we do different things. But I'm like, that's like, from the same town, <laughs> which was even crazier, but it's like, right. That, that's, that's the cool thing about stuff like podcasting, right? Being able to virtually yeah. connect with somebody who turns out there's a lot closer than you realize. And, and so many overlaps and so much yeah. truth and transparency coming forth from you. And, and I think that's like a big takeaway for me. And I, obviously I'm going to want you to help close out the show, but I always have my guest co-host do that some final thoughts, whatever, but that's what I think it misses a lot in this world is we need to build these relationships and get back to having people connect easier and better and respect mm -hmm. each other's space and allow people to be different and, and right. then come together and have, and I'm not going, we don't talk about politics in the show, but I'm like, have a healthy conversation, agree to disagree. It's okay. Mm -hmm. We used to have yep. debate clubs in school for a reason. I mean, I wasn't in it, um, but I could probably do pretty well today. But that's the point. It's like, let people connect, right? Let, let them. How yeah. else are you going to build better connectivity, better human race, better brands, well, better companies? But it, it starts with, and I love that you went there because it starts with being authentic and it starts with understanding who you are. And, I, you know, I grew up in a generation where my father was emotionless. He didn't talk about things. It was bad if I talked about things. If you cried as a child, it better be because he smacked you up, you know, upside your tail. Like it was, it was not okay. And so I bottled up all that stuff. And I think when you get older and you realize that life is full of emotion and it's safe and healthy to, to absorb that and to talk through it, men don't talk about this stuff. And it's, um, it's interesting in my, and, and, my wife said to me, I, I've been going to this men's Bible study and, uh, and I haven't done that in years. And so I went, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get anything out of this. And my wife said this, and she's very poignant. She said, she said, you have to ask yourself that you might not be getting anything out of it, but is there somebody there who might be getting something out of you because you're there? Whoa, and I'd never, nice. I'd never thought of, yeah, I never thought of it that way. She's like, if you, 
Oh, she's incredible. She's definitely <laughs> eighty times smarter than I am. Uh, oh yeah, but I, my, my wife's a, a double doctor. I yeah, I'm just like my. I just leveled up. Just, yeah, all right, lead the way, baby. <laughs> yeah. Now my my wife is. Um, I don't know if you do the enneagram at all, but um, she's a she's an eight on the enneagram scale, and so she's very she's very loyal. Um, but she's also she's also about justice, and she wants to see justice. Been you know happening and so she's very with me she's she's very much she sees my frailties my weaknesses but she also embraces me for them and loves on my my uh my strengths and when i'm in a situation like like that when i'm nervous when i you know i i don't want to do something and i and i'm like gosh i'm feeling vulnerable she's the first one to say yeah but that's when you need to go that's when you need you'll learn the most and you'll give the most and um i wish I wish I had that skill set when I was younger. I wish I had that skill set working for other people because oh had God. I been a little bit more receptive, a little bit more patient, a little bit more humble, um, you know, I, I could have been a lot more effective as a man than than I was. I I have a whole chapter in the in the new book coming up. It's it's literally getting humble. That's the name mm. of the chapter. I love it. I well, love, I can't I, I can't I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Well, that might be a great a, a great uh, great thing well, to end yeah, on then the, the book is going to be called so you want to be a hot shot because i thought i wanted to be a hot shot right and, and but i want i wanted to carry forth into all facets of life for everybody like to think about love that how i could be more of a hot shot in everything i do but like it's not about being some tough guy jackass right it's about love real love that I'm, I'm excited for it so by yeah. way, writing a book is a pain in the butt i don't know how you magazines all that stuff no it's a pain that's, that's you <laughs> absolutely pain. i love your history yeah so yeah thanks listen, man I, I usually ask my guest co-hosts to help leave behind an all-encompassing message or something like a legacy message. But actually, mm-hmm. the last few words you said are beautiful. So I don't know if you want to end it with that or if you have something you want to sum it up and help bring this show towards a close. And while you do that, by the way, I just I got to share your site because I was like, I was pro- I, I didn't I don't do a lot of screen sharing on every show, but guys, like their website's awesome. You got to check out thebrandleader.com, right? So oh, thank you. I'm a huge mountain biker. When you slap that on your site for branding, I'm gonna support you. <laughs> Right there, oh, thank you. What is that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I love that feature. It well, that's uh, where I'm at, right? Yeah, it's a little geotargeting right there. Um, yeah. I, I, I never thought I'd see that on something that we designed says I we love Allentown, but no, it's great. Well, that's great. You I'm glad. Better have to change your thoughts now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have it right there. So, yeah. uh, no, I do, I do appreciate that. The, I've worked with an incredible team, uh, including I got to give a shout out to Chris Huvel, who's our creative director, and he. Uh, he runs our design team, which, which helped uh, conceive and, and develop that new website for us. But yeah, I would say for last thoughts, somebody, I was a, I was a guest on a uh, podcast yesterday, ironically, just, you know, together yesterday and today. And uh, they said, if you could change one thing about your career, what would it be? He said, we ask every guest this. And I think he was waiting for me to say something like, if I could have invested in Uber or if I could have, you know, taken that job or not fired that person. And I said, oh, that's easy, man. Just if I could have been kind. Uh, and, um, it sounds like you and I are cut from the same cloth on that one. And, and so, yeah, the only thing I would leave with people is it's not cliche to say, you know, treat people with kindness or what it, it really is, you know, it, it is something that if we, if we're not kind to one to one another, and I don't, man, I don't do this well. I struggle with this stuff daily when I'm in a mood or whatever, but, um, I, I found that life is just more enjoyable. Our work is better. Um, because like my wife would tell you, everyone else could be going through the same thing or a different thing. You just don't know what their story is. And so whether there's somebody on the street or somebody in my office, you know, giving them 
you know, the, the privilege to have that space to be who they are. Um, I wish I would have done that. So I would just encourage people to, to read your book. It sounds like it's going to be a, a, a winner, especially talking about humility and being humble. Um, and just, yeah, be kind, yeah. you know, and, and then tell me how you do it. So. Oh, well, I'm excited for it. It's been a long, it's been two years of this project to get it done. I just want it off my to-do list. And actually on your closing notes, um, I agree with you. It's very easy to just get frustrated, lose the fact of being kind. I'm in the process of trying to finish buying another house. That's stressful enough. And I've allowed that to maybe manifest uh, how I get short with my wife. And I'm like, baby, I'm sorry. I was like, let's, I was like, I don't even know how you're going through this. So I agree with you. Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, listen, I'll give you a promise. This has been fun. Here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, thebrandleader.com. Kyle left us some powerful words to leave behind with today. Again, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. So check out thebrandleader.com. Check them out at thebrandleader everywhere on social. And we'll have all the stuff linked that shows up we always do. So thanks for tuning in. And remember, you took a live the fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com. Thank you.